Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Something about Franklin Graham, he's always said, I've heard him say it, that God has called him to the ditches of this world, the slums of this world. And through Samaritan's Purse, his organization have found people in need from um, what has happened on the East Coast with the recent hurricane to people in Africa and uh, the Middle East, South America, Central America, all around the world, Haiti, wherever there's a disaster, Franklin sends teams in and often goes himself. Uh, But not only has he done that, but he's an evangelist who has preached the gospel to over 7 million people around the world. And when I say preach the gospel, not just give a little sermonette, he preaches the gospel. He cuts to the chase, gives the goods, tells a person how to get to heaven. And uh, can you imagine 7 million people he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with? That in and of itself is astonishing. He's personally met with five presidents of the United States, but what I love about him is just a simple guy who loves the Lord and God is called to preach the message of salvation. Would you give a warm welcome to our friend, Franklin Graham? Good morning. Thank you, Skip. It's great to be back with you. And I want to just say thank you for all the shoe boxes uh, that you've uh, helped to pack and deliver, uh, not just this year, but over the years. I've been involved with you. Your, your church has been involved for over 20 years uh, with this project, and it has just touched the lives of millions of kids around the world. Uh, we, we couldn't do it without churches like yours, and just want to thank you. This year we're celebrating our 100 millionth shoe box. Um, Uh, the first year we did this, we, you know, we thought if we could uh, get just a, you know, a few thousand boxes and we were going to send them to the children in Bosnia, that would be great. And uh, we collected a few thousand. Uh, we went over to Bosnia. We delivered them to the children. And it was a, a nice thing to do. It was a fun thing to do. Uh, the next year we, we did it again. But we just about went broke. Uh, it was so expensive of, of shipping the boxes and getting the boxes there and the transportation. Uh, we just decided, you know, we're just not going to do it again. And then we just thought, well, wait a second. If all we're doing is just putting a smile on a kid's face, then what's the purpose to that? But if there's some way we can take that box and make a connection for Almighty God in that child's life, uh, we'll try it one more year. And so we decided to really make Operation Christmas Child an evangelistic project. Let's reach the children of the world with the gospel. Let's give them the truth of what Christmas is all about. It's about God giving His Son. That's what Christmas is about. It's about God loving us so much that He gave His Son to take our sins, to die on the cross. He was buried for our sins. God raised Him to life. And I want these children of the world to know that God loves them that God cares for them and that He sent a Savior. 
His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth for them. So when we made that, okay, that's now our focus of Operation Christmas Child. God just breathed His Holy Spirit blessing on the project. I can't explain it. It's just taken off. And this year we're celebrating our 100 millionth box. We'll collect about 10 million this year. But during this, this collection season, it'll be the 100 millionth box will come in. Now, I don't know which box is 100 millionth, but, but, you know, God knows. It doesn't matter. The point is every box is different. They're like snowflakes. There's no two boxes the same. And every box I ask people to pray. Pray for the child that's going to get the box. Uh, I have people sometimes say, well, where do you think my box will go? I don't know where your box is going to go. There's a hundred countries out there and millions of boxes. I just can't track all these boxes. But God knows. And if we pray for the child... And so people say, you know, what's the most important thing to put in the box? It's your prayer. Pray for the child that gets the box because we know God hears the prayer of one righteous person. But can you imagine 10, billion, 10 million people this year praying for 10 million children? What God just might do for the children around the world? So pray with us as these boxes go. Continue to pray that God will use these gifts to, to reach uh, millions of children this year with the truth of God's love. And then, you know, I always like to try to kick the can a little further down the road, okay? What we're doing now is we have a discipleship program. All right, you know, it's really one thing great to uh, to give the box, do it in Jesus' name, and, and see kids give their life to Christ. But it's really fantastic when you can take that child and get them into a discipleship program. And we've got a program, uh, it's called The Greatest Journey. It's a 12-week Bible study. Uh, so all the kids that want to, uh, that receive Christ, that want to take a Bible study course, we give this material uh, to the churches. We have teachers' guidebooks and, and how to do the course. We give this in the language to the churches. And then these kids... Uh, enroll in the course after 12 weeks. We have a graduation ceremony. They wear like a little cap and gown and they get a diploma. And then we give them a Bible, their own Bible in their language. And so this year we have over a million kids enrolled in this discipleship program. It's my hope in the next few years we'll have four million children a year taking uh, the greatest journey. So it's a wonderful program. Thank you for your help. Thank you for your support. In, in, in Mark chapter 10, um, in verses 13, uh, we have just a little glimpse of what Jesus thinks of children. And we see that people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. Now, I'm a parent. Uh, my wife and I, my wife Jane and I, we have four children. Now, they're all grown, uh, but they've got their children, so we've, we're grandparents. We have eight grandchildren, one on the way. And here, parents were bringing their children to Jesus. And they're just wanting Jesus to touch them, to talk, kind of bless them, to put his hands on them. And those disciples, these, these kind of grouchy guys, <laughs> you know, they don't get it. They're, they rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, and he put his hands on them, 
and he blessed them. And here is this wonderful picture of Jesus taking these children in his arms. First of all, I mean, he's, he's ticked off at his disciples. <laughs> Don't you hinder them. You let those children come to me. And he puts his arms around them. Puts his hands on them. He blesses them. He loves them. And it's my prayer that these shoe boxes will be just a way for our Lord to be able to put his arms around the children of the world. To say, I still love you. I haven't forgotten you. I don't want to bless you. And we pray that every one of these boxes will be a, a blessing to these children. Not just a gift that's full of fun and toys and things, but it will be a blessing in their life. And why will it be a blessing? It's because of the prayers that are given. It's the prayers of you that have given the boxes. God will take that and honor those prayers and He'll bless these children in the name of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look in Mark chapter 10, we go over a few verses and we come to the place and this is what I want to speak on and um, it's a beggar's prayer Jesus was on his way to the cross he was coming through Jericho his world ministry is now coming to an end as far as his physical ministry he's now on his way to Jerusalem to where he will be nailed in a few days He'll be, first of all, his disciples will abandon him. Uh, He will be tried. Uh, False accusations will be made against him. Uh, He'll be taken to the Roman governor who says, I find no fault in him. But yet the crowd is yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so they continue to chant and to yell, crucify. And so the Roman governor, Pilate, He gives in and he washes his hands and you take him and you crucify him, do what you want. And so he's falsely accused, he's abandoned, they beat him, they whip him, they strip him. And they take him and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they mock him, hail king of the Jews. And then they take him and they they nail him to a cross. And then they lift him up high for the whole city of Jerusalem to see and for the world to see. Jesus did this for you. He came from heaven to this earth to take our sins. And He's now coming through Jericho on His way to the cross for you to take your sins to the cross. And He's coming through this town of Jericho. And when they came to Jericho, as Jesus and His disciples, this is verse 46, chapter 10 of Mark. As he came to Jericho, Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, many rebuked him told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, Cheer up! On on your feet! He's calling you! Throwing his cloak aside, 
He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight. And he followed Jesus along the road. We've all seen uh, blind people. I've always been amazed at how they're able to navigate using a, a guide dog or a stick, you know, tapping the sidewalk as they uh, walk down a sidewalk. And I'm just always amazed when they come up to uh, an intersection that they, they have the sense as to where to stop. And uh, so I've, I've always marveled and I've always wondered, you know, how I would do if I lost my eyesight. How could I do that? Uh, I think we've all experienced um, being maybe where it's real dark and you can't see. I, I, I travel sometimes and you're staying in hotels or motels and uh, the, um, the drapes in some of the hotels are very efficient. <laughs> and uh, you close those drapes, it's dark when you turn the light out. And so much so I've been into some hotel rooms and I realize it is so dark. I mean, you can take your hands and do this and you can't see. Uh, you turn the light on and get up. And you crack the curtain just a little bit so a little sliver of light from an outside street light or whatever can come into the room. So you can see just a little bit. Bartimaeus was blind. And um, there was no hope for him. Uh, last uh, week in Beaumont, Texas, uh, just east of Houston on Interstate 10, there was a horrific car accident. Maybe you saw it on the news. There's like 140 cars involved in this, this pileup. Uh, people were injured. Dozens of people were in the hospital. People were killed. And what happened as the people were driving down the interstate doing 75, 80, whatever, uh, this, this bank of fog moved across I-10, and the people entered into this fog bank, and then all of a sudden, now they can't see. And cars would put on the brakes, and then the car behind them would smash into them, and then another, and another, and another, and cars on top of cars, and tractor trailers, and, and after 140 cars, finally the carnage stopped. And they interviewed some people, they just said, we couldn't see. They couldn't see the danger of a, what was coming ahead. Even though there was a sense, maybe we ought to slow down, they said, just, some people just kept giving it the gas, thinking, oh, we'll just get right through it, maybe. And people were killed. And you see, there are people that are going through life, driving through life blind, not realizing that there is destruction ahead. And today you've got an opportunity to repent and to turn from your sins. You see, God loves you. God made you. He created you. He breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. He knows everything there is to know about you. I was talking to a man, he's a well-known man, he's an atheist, he believed in evolution. And he was a pilot, he, he, he was a test pilot, flew some of the great planes of this country. And we were talking, and I have a little Piper Super Cub, it's a one-engine airplane, okay, and it's got cloth wings. And things made in 1958. And I was talking to this guy, he's an atheist, and he believed in evolution. I said, you know, I can take this super cub of mine, and I can park it out here on the end of the runway, and a thousand years from now, it's not going to be a 747, okay? 
is still going to be a super cub. I said, you believe in your engineers and you believe in all of your science and all the technicians that built all these fighter aircraft you've flown. But don't you realize the human body is far more complicated than any airplane you've ever flown? You have a far more complicated electrical system than any jet that you've ever flown. Your fuel system is far more complex than any fuel system of any airplane you've ever flown. The pneumatic system, your body's hydraulic system, far more complicated than any airplane you've ever flown. And you're trying to tell me you don't believe that there's a designer behind this? There's not a great engineer behind you? It's Almighty God who made you and created you. And the guy just stared at me. Didn't know what to say. And I said, that super cub is never going to be a 747. It doesn't just evolve. You just didn't crawl up out of the ground as a tadpole one day and a thousand years you grew arms and another thousand years you grew your legs. No, it didn't happen like that. God made you. He created you. And He knows everything about your life. And God wants to have a relationship with you. But our problems is sin. Sin separates us from God. And every one of us here today, we're guilty of sin, breaking God's laws. But I'm going to invite you in a few moments. If you're here this morning and you have never invited Christ into your heart, I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning so you get ready to come. I'm going to call you in just a few moments. Now, Bartimaeus was blind. The only job that he could get was begging. I mean, there was, there was no jobs for blind people. And so he's on the side of the road begging. They didn't have schools for the handicapped. He was a beggar. He, he couldn't see light. He couldn't see darkness. He couldn't see his filth. He couldn't see his rags. He couldn't see beauty. And outside of Jesus Christ, we're all spiritually blind. The Bible says, but you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's what God says about the human race. The Bible says the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of them that believe not. Bartimaeus was poor. Not only was he blind, but he was poor. Now, I've, I've been to some poor places in this world. I was um, in Sudan just a, uh, a few weeks ago. and But earlier in the year, I had gone to Sudan. I took Greta Van Sustern of Fox News with me. And we, we flew. We have a, a, a number of aircraft in Africa. We have an old DC-3. And we flew that up to the northern part of the, uh, the south near the border with the north, a little place called Yeda. And it's a little strip that uh, they took axes and they chopped down the trees and made this little landing strip that we can get this DC-3 into. And then we had some Land Rovers. And we drove through the bush up into the north into a place called the Nuba Mountains. And the Nuba Mountains have been surrounded by President Bashir, the president of the north, an Islamist, who is trying to annihilate the people of the north. Then nobody's there to help them. No one cares. These people are being annihilated. These African people are being destroyed. And so I took Greta. I wanted Greta to see it. She reported on it. But we went up into the caves where there were thousands and thousands of people living in the rocks, afraid of the bombers that were flying over every day, dropping bombs on them, killing them. You could see the graves out in the countryside. Wherever you went, there were just mounds and mounds and mounds. Thousands of people are being slaughtered. And we were in this one cave and these people came out and they had a bag, a little plastic bag, and it was filled with... I looked at it and I, I said, Greta, those look like bugs. She said, they are bugs. That's the only food that they had to eat that day was the bugs that they had collected from turning over rocks and they would be like a, like a little maggot or something. And then they'd pick it up and they'd put it in that plastic bag. 
That's all the food they had to eat was bugs. You talk about poor. I've seen poverty. Bartimaeus was poor. The only job he could get was to beg and hope that somebody would feel sorry for him, have a little compassion. But you see, we're, we're all poor toward God. Every one of us in here, we're poor toward God. And we've all sinned and we've fallen short of God's standard. And a few verses prior in the same chapter, here's this rich guy comes to Jesus. And he falls down on his knees just before Jesus got to Jericho. And he, he said, good teacher, what, what, what one thing do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do? And Jesus said, follow the commandments. He said, well, I've done that since I was youth. What else do I lack? And Jesus, the Bible says, looked at him and loved him. He said, there's one thing you're lacking. You see, Jesus could tell what was really wrong with the guy. The guy loved his money. He loved his wealth more than he loved his own soul. And Jesus said, just get rid of that stuff. Give it to the poor. Then come follow me if you want treasures in heaven. You come follow me. And that's what I'm going to give you an opportunity to do today, is to come and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But this young guy wouldn't do it. He wouldn't follow him. The Bible says that he, he turned his back. He was sad. Can you imagine that? He asked the question, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus told him, come follow me. And he was sad. He loved his money more than he loved his own soul. And there's some of you here this morning. You love your money, you love your wealth, or you love something else more than you love your own soul. And Jesus said, just come follow me. And so will you come follow Christ today? Will you trust him? This young man turned his back. I grew up in a church, and just a small little country church, not like this. And uh, I listened to sermons every Sunday. And um, they kind of went in one ear and out the other. And uh, I just decided I want to go through life and I was going to do whatever I could to please myself. And so I, I just, uh, my goal in life was to make Franklin Graham happy. And so the more I tried to make myself happy and going after the things of this world, the emptier I became. There was just this big black empty hole in my life. And finally, I, at 22 years of age, I got on my knees one night and I just said, God, I have sinned against you and I'm sorry. I've turned my back on you. I've turned my back on your son, Jesus Christ, and I want you to forgive me. And tonight, I want to invite Christ into my heart. I want to trust him as my Savior. If you can just take the, the broken pieces of my life and if somehow you can just put it together, it's yours. That night, God forgave me. I don't deserve it. You see, I'm a sinner. And my sins separated me from God. But that night, God forgave me and He healed my heart just like He can do yours this morning. But you've got to be willing to come and call His name by faith. Now Bartimaeus, let's go back to Bartimaeus for a second. Not only was he poor, but he was hopeless. There was no one that could help him. And maybe you feel today that you're hopeless. Maybe you feel that your life is upside down and you don't know where to go or what to do. And to ease your pain, maybe you've tried to turn to drugs and to alcohol or sexual relations, thinking that that will ease the pain and give you some happiness or joy. You see, God sees you. He loves you. He made you. He wants to have a relationship with you. But sin separates us from God. God wants to have that relationship. He wants to forgive you. He loves you. But you've got to be willing to come to Him by faith. You see, your hope, the only hope that you have in life is Jesus Christ. And 
Bartimaeus was hopeless. <laughs> there was nobody who could cure his blindness. There was no doctors. There was no clinics. There was no LASIK surgery. There was no cataract surgery. There was no special implants that he could have to where he could get his sight. He was blind. And that's the way he was going to live his life, was going to be blind on the side of the road begging. And there's nothing you can do to rid yourself of your sin. There's no doctor you can go to. There's no clinic you can go to to take care of your sin. You see, there is nothing you can do outside of Jesus Christ. There's only one who has paid the debt of sin, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You say, Franklin, you know what? That's a, that's a kind of a narrow view you got there. There's a lot of religions in the world, and you're trying to tell me that you, you know the truth? No, I'm telling you, I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. <laughs> Muhammad, Muhammad didn't die for your sins. Buddha didn't die for your sins. There's only one. The Lord Jesus Christ, and outside of Christ there's no hope. You see, we've all sinned and we've come short of God's glory. The wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. We're under the death sentence. We're all under a death sentence because we've sinned. And you say, but Franklin, what do you mean by sin? Telling a lie is a sin. Have you ever lied? Well, you say, well, no, I haven't. Well, you just, just told one now. Okay? <laughs> we've all lied. We're guilty. Adultery. Any type of sexual relationships outside of a marriage relationship is a sin. And I'm talking about a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. I know there's been some states that now have legalized same-sex marriage. Well, just because they've legalized I can tell you it's wrong. It's a sin against God, okay? It's what the Bible says. But there's some of you here, you're guilty of sexual sins, but I can tell you God will forgive you today. That's right. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll heal you. He'll take the shame. He'll take the guilt. But you've got to be willing to receive Christ by faith and trust Him this morning. Bearing a false witness is a sin. Stealing is a sin. Not honoring your parents is a sin. Murder is a sin. You say, well, frankly, this is in New Mexico. They'll put you in the slammer for that. How about abortion? There's some of you here this morning, you're guilty of abortion. Yeah. Murder. I was being interviewed by a lady um, for a magazine in New York, and um, she was nice. But um, the, this interview was over a period of several days, kind of off and on. And we were in a San Antonio, and we were at a big long table, a bunch of people out for dinner. And she was finishing this interview, and she was writing this story for this magazine. And and I said, "Can I ask you some questions?" And she said, "Okay." I said, are your sins forgiven? Her eyes kind of watered up. I said, did you know that God loves you and He wants to forgive you? But you've got to be willing to receive Christ by faith. And now the tears are kind of coming down her cheeks. I said, have you ever invited Christ into your heart? She said, no, I haven't. I said, would you like to do that? She said, yes, I would. Would you like to do it right now? She said, I would. I said, will you repeat this prayer after me? She said, okay. And so we're at the end of the table, and we just bow our head, and I just led her in a prayer. And Now everybody is looking down at our end of the table, like, what in the world is happening down there? And after she prayed this prayer to invite Christ into her heart, to forgive her of her sins, she looked at me, and she grabbed my hand. She said, I have to confess something to you. 
No, you don't. I mean, God has just heard your prayer. He's answered your prayer. He's forgiven you. She said, no. She said, I have to say this. Okay. She said, 20 years ago, I had an abortion. And will God forgive me for that? I said, he just did. He just did. And she just wept. She placed her face into her hands and she just wept. Now, these were not bitter tears. (laughs) This was tears of, of relief. Tears of joy. She said, Franklin, she said, it has haunted me every day of my life. Every anniversary of that abortion, I thought, what would that child have been? It's haunted me. It's haunted me. I said, you've been forgiven. You're forgiven. And there's some of you here this morning. Your sins have been haunting you. But God wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. If you'll let Him. If you'll trust Christ and invite Him into your heart today. You see, the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but should have everlasting life. Now, for Bartimaeus, there was this little ray of hope. Now, he's begging. He's on the side of the road. And he's heard stories about this stranger from Galilee, this man called Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's heard how the blind had received their sight, how the dead had been raised, how the lame had walked. He had heard these stories. And now, here is a multitude of people coming. And I don't know what a multitude is, but it's big, okay? It's a big crowd. And they're coming, and they're approaching, and Bartimaeus is asking, what's happening? Who's coming? What, what, what's, what's happening? And somebody passing by said, it's Jesus. <laughs> Ooh, it's Jesus is coming. Jesus is passing by. That same Jesus is coming today. He's here. He's passing by. For, for Bartimaeus, this was his only hope. This was his only hope. And you see, Bartimaeus started crying out at the top of his voice. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And he cried again. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now, there's a multitude of people, and there's people crying out, Hey, Jesus, over here, Jesus, look at this, Jesus. Hey, come over to my place, Jesus. All this, Jesus this and Jesus that. But Bartimaeus cried the cry of faith. He believed in his heart that Jesus could heal him. His prayer was a prayer of faith. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And are you willing to pray that prayer of faith today? And say, Jesus, will you heal my heart? Will you forgive my sins? And Jesus heard the prayer of faith. Now, Bartimaeus couldn't see Jesus. You can't see him. But he cried that prayer of faith. And our Lord heard it. And our Lord stopped. (laughs) I love it. He stopped. He's willing to stop for you today. And they said, call him. Call him. And now someone yells, hey, be of good cheer, Bartimaeus. He's calling you, Bartimaeus. My question is, is he calling you this morning? 
And they bring Bartimaeus to Jesus. And he, they put a cloak on him. He throws it to the side. And he goes right to our Lord. <laughs> Jesus said, what, what do you want me to do, Bartimaeus? What do you want me to do for you? Our Lord knew. But he wanted to hear Bartimaeus say it. Lord, I want to receive my sight. I want to see. And I'm sure Bartimaeus had tears streaming down his face. I just want to see, Lord. You can do it. I know you can. I believe. And our Lord said, go. Go, Bartimaeus. Your faith, Bartimaeus, has healed you. And immediately his eyes were open. First thing he sees is the face of our Lord. And the Bible says that he follows him now. He follows him down the road. And a few days later, our Lord was nailed to that tree. And I bet you old Bartimaeus was there in that crowd because he followed the Lord. He followed him. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, Bartimaeus was probably saying, Thank you, Jesus. Not only thank you for giving me my sight, but thank you for taking my sins. Thank you for paying my debt. Thank you for making it possible for me to be with you for eternity in heaven. Thank you. God loves you and He's wanting to forgive you. He'll heal your heart. There's no other way. There's no other hope. You see, the Bible says salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus said, I'm the way. He said, I'm the truth. He said, I'm the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And friends, there's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Because He's the one who took your sins. He's the one who died on the cross and shed His blood for you and for me. He'll take your sins. He'll heal your heart. But you've got to pray that prayer like Bartimaeus. That prayer of faith this morning. Just to simply believe in your heart that He can take your sins and He can forgive you and heal your heart. If you would like to invite Christ into your heart, if you've never done this, you can do it this morning. Just get up out of your seat wherever you are. Make your way up here to the front. And when you've come, we'll have a word of prayer. And then you can go back to be with your friends. But will you pray that prayer of faith today? Will you trust Jesus Christ to heal your heart? Will you trust Him to heal your life? To forgive your sins? You come. You're not coming to Franklin Graham. I I can't save you. I can't heal you. You're coming by faith. You're coming by faith to Christ. Trust in Him. Will you come? Just another moment. You're coming to God. This is your choice. But you have to come to God His way. And that's through His Son. And by coming, you're saying to God, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Forgive me. Wait just another moment. Anybody else? I want to say a word to those of you that have come. By coming, you're saying to God, I'm a sinner. You say, but Franklin, doesn't he know that? Yeah, he does. (laughs) But he wants to hear you say it. And by coming today, you're saying to God, I'm sorry. And I want to turn from my sins. And by coming, you're saying, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. And I want to trust him as my savior. And I want to follow him as my Lord. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now, okay? And a a prayer is just simply talking to God like I'm talking to you, okay? So repeat this prayer after me. Let us pray. Dear God, 
I am a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to follow Him as my Lord. From this day forward, forevermore, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.